This is Care Less, Do More. Welcome back to Care Less, Do More. I'm your host, Michelle Parker, lifelong skier, passionate Vista finder, lover of long conversations, and totally mesmerized by athletes in every genre of sport. This week, I had the pleasure of sitting down and interviewing my very first ski racer, Travis Ganong. Travis and I grew up together here in Lake Tahoe skiing at Palisades, where we honed our skiing technique with the famed race program. At 15, I started competing in slopestyle competitions and took my skiing in a totally different direction than Travis, who made the U.S. ski team and had a very successful 18-year career. The one thing that has been clear to me since day one about Travis is his true passion for skiing in any form. Free skiing, cross-country skiing, racing, hitting big airs, whatever the means are, Travis is a skier's skier. After years of fine-tuning his athletic pursuit as a World Cup and Olympic downhiller, and Super G racer, Travis just couldn't watch the snow fall on rest days any longer. He retired on top after taking third at the famed Honecom downhill in Kitzbühel, Austria, a lifelong dream of his, and is now on the search for as much powder as possible while connecting with skiing as he did when he was a youngster. Travis's descriptions of the start gate had me shaking in my chair, and I'm really fired up to see where he takes his skiing. Before diving into this episode, I'm going to shout out one of our sponsors, Pomoka. When it comes to your skins, they can make the difference in your day. If you don't know what skins are, they're the amazing invention that you stick to the bottom of your ski to walk uphill and ski back down. However, many people have issues on the skin track when it gets steep and icy or technical, and my first thought is always, they must not have Pomokas. Tried and trusted by nearly every professional skier and snowboarder I've come across in the mountains, Pomokas are a cut above your average skin. They have multiple options for your ascent, my personal favorite being the Free Pro Tour, 2.0, which are the pink ones, and for everyday use. But don't sleep on the Climbing Pro, the Climb Pro, the teal ones, for when the skin track gets extra worn in, icy, or steep. I actually do switch between the two. If you're new to backcountry skiing, first of all, go get some education, and then step into a world of not sliding backwards with these skins, specifically the Climb Pro. I think that's the perfect skin for a beginner backcountry ski tour. Touring takes technique and precision, but Pomoka makes that easier with their lightweight and lasting skins. Welcome back to Care Less Do More. Today on the show, we have a very special guest to me. His name is Travis Ganong. Travis, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michelle. Glad to be here. So to chat. We've, we're, it's good to connect again after so many years. We, we grew up together, so it's cool to come back here and dissect our lives since then. Yeah, exactly. We, we were just chatting about how our lives were very parallel and similar, but in very different directions. Yeah, definitely. Well, actually quite similar directions, I guess, if you... Yeah. We're both skiers. Yeah, skiing, soccer, like the Tahoe kid growing up, and then going, me into ski racing, Michelle, obviously, into free skiing and what she's done since. So, yeah, yes. we both did our own thing, but we started pretty much at the same path. Yep, yep. Same mountain, same everything. Yeah. Tell the audience a little bit more in depth about yourself. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Alpine Meadows, uh, just outside of Tahoe City, and my dad was a doctor at the base of Squaw Valley, uh, now Palisades Tahoe. So, he uh, did trades with the mountain for ski passes for our family. So I grew up ski racing on the, well, I was a Mighty Might for many, many, many years, which is was the, the greatest years of my life as a skier, being a member of the Mighty Might team. Um, but then I progressed from there to the Squaw Valley ski team and then um, made the U.S. ski team when I was 15 and a half years old, still in high school, and all of a sudden started traveling a lot. And yeah. 18 years went by and I just retired like six months ago from ski racing. So, um, yeah, I've been skiing my whole life and, and still live here in North Lake Tahoe. Um, and kind of excited to, to start like the next kind of phase of my ski career. Cause yeah, ski racing is a very intense, um, 
very time-consuming activity and yeah not a lot of time spent at home i lived out of bags for the last 18 years so this next phase i'm really excited about as you can tell but yeah um love living in lake tahoe it's the perfect place to kind of make a home base and at perfect training grounds and there's lots of like-minded amazing people who live here and play here and it's just a great home base to to then travel around the world and and ski and inspire people to follow us and yeah do all those other great things so anyways I couldn't agree more and huge congratulations on 18 years of a successful career and then now landing on retirement which doesn't necessarily mean that your time on snow is coming to an end it's just shifting directions which is really exciting yeah i know like retirement is actually going to allow me to ski more that was one of the issues i was facing as a racer is like you wake up in the morning you do one inspection run and then like one maybe free ski warm-up run and then you wait around a couple hours and then you do the race run and it's like like three runs a day and then the rest of the day, you're working with the physical therapist, going to the gym, watching video, resting, eating. Watch, yeah, I mean, it's just so much that goes into it and not that much skiing going on. So it's like, it's a full on, I mean, it's it's the highest level of, of the sport and you have to like really, it's really professional, it's really difficult. So you have to do it that way, otherwise you won't be competitive. But I got to the point now where I like look out the window when I'm resting before a race and I was like, ah, oh, I want to go ski that and I want to go ski that or it snows like two feet and they cancel a training run and I'm sitting in the hotel resting to try to save energy for the race. And I'm like, what am I doing with my time? I need to go outside and go play in the snow. So yeah, yeah now that I'm retired from racing, it's not, it's a transition from ski racing to like can reconnecting with the joys of skiing that I had as a kid and like just going out and playing in the snow and shoveling and sledding. And I don't know, just being with people in the mountains and skiing a lot. So I've already started doing that ever since I retired, I skied maybe more than I did it, it, this last summer than I did as a racer, which is kind of wild to think about. But. That's amazing. Yeah. So break that down for me because you're saving your energy to perform on race day and you want everything to be in line. And how many runs do you do on a race day? Um, yeah. So I race downhill on Super G on the World Cup. So you, you do one race run and maybe one warm-up run and then maybe one inspection run in the morning where you like side slip down the hill and you look at the jumps and check out the the snow conditions and and kind of run through the track one last time in your head while also like slipping down the course and looking at things. So um, the, the sport's so hyper-competitive these days that if you're not like saving yourself for that one race run or you're not pushing at, as hard as you can that one race run and you're going off and having fun and hanging out before they're like skiing a bunch before the race or the days leading up to the race or the weeks leading up to the race, like you're, you're the, yeah, the margins are so tight that you won't, have as good of a chance of success so like it's crazy like when i first started racing it wasn't really that intense but with sports science and equipment and just how professional it's gotten like it's it's yeah you have to be very calculated with how you spend your energy so that you can perform on race day because at the end of the day like that's the goal and it's the most amazing thing ever to like put all this effort into something and come out the other side with the result it's unbelievable but obviously in ski racing there's a lot of uh, bad days as well. So it's, it's a tough sport. It's a really tough sport, but the, the main thing is like, you don't ski as much as you think, like you're, you're traveling, you're in airplanes, you're going from hotel to hotel. Um, you get to ski in these beautiful iconic places, but you're on one trail pretty much the whole time. You don't get to go out and explore. Um, yeah, but now I get to go out and explore. Now I get to go back to these places and see them from a different light. Yeah. It's going to be fun. That's kind of, that's like a little bit fascinating to me to understand that kind of like, I understand the dedication and everything, but I didn't realize that like the free riding would take away from that. And you're so focused on that one run that it takes 
every ounce of energy to put towards that. I'm sure mentally and physically. Yeah. 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 No, it's intense. And so every scene, every season, like the last race would be March 15th. So then I would call it my second season would start like from March 15th through April, through May, through this, like a year like this last year in Tahoe and the Sierra June, July, they were still skiing like that second season. I would come home and just be so fired up to like go touring and go climb this and go do this trip and just kind of ski every day nonstop. And people thought I was crazy. Most, most other racers would finish the season and they would just want to go to the beach and recover and just not even look at their skis. Right. For me, I was like so excited to come back here and sunny California weather and we get some spring storms maybe, but like the touring potential and yeah, I, people definitely thought I was a little crazy, but I love skiing so much. And like the, the fact that I was, when I was racing all season, I didn't get to ski that much. It made me so excited to have that second season every year. You're a skier to skier. Yeah. You're truly passionate about it. Oh yeah. Do you think that that's, I mean, you said that you were a bit of an outlier when it came to other racers. Do you think that other racers love like the aspect of skiing as much as you do, or is it a little different? Um, I think it's shifting. I think like 10, 15 years ago, especially in Europe, most of the Europeans didn't really understand that there was another type of skiing available. They didn't, they didn't grow up with like a culture at their home mountain like we did at Squaw Valley, Palazzi Saho, with just the free ski culture and the filming and the backcountry skiing and the amount of snow. Like for them, what they knew of skiing was you would go on a T-bar and just do like six or seven runs in a course. You'd watch video. Like there wasn't, the other thing is a lot of places in the Alps, it doesn't really snow that much anymore down low in these towns where these kids grew up. So there's not really availability for powder skiing. So like talking to a lot of those racers back then, they were, they were like, why are you traveling with powder skis? Or even like Atomic, my sponsor, they would be, they, I would be ordering these big fat powder skis and they're like, well, you don't need this. Like you're a racer. I'm like, well, Actually, <laughs> I really do. Like, yeah. So just the mentality. Uh, I think lately, though, like the last six or seven years, with like how much better the equipment's becoming for backcountry skiing, a lot of the the racers are trying to starting to figure out like how they can go walk in their backyard and go on and uh, connect with skiing, connect with the mountains in a different way, which is something I always did, but not normal in the racing world until just recently. I'd say it's yeah, it's starting to become more yeah. prevalent, which is really good to see because it's so healthy to like disconnect from the stress and like the pressure for racing and just go on a walk in the woods and, and enjoy it in a little slower pace. And yeah, that's, that's where I connect to skiing more anyways. So yeah. yeah, which I mean, it, absolutely what you said is like, this is the culture of the town that we grew up in. How was that for you? Like, I know for me growing up, like there was a clear split. There was like incredible Olympians that like made it as a career in ski racing. And then there was your Shane McConkey's, JT Holmes, Ingrid Backstrom's that like went in the opposite direction. And it would like, I would imagine, because for me growing up, I was like, when I stopped racing, I got sponsored at 15, basically the same as you for skiing in the park. And I went in that direction because that was like, I had the carrot, let's go. But was that like influential on your youth growing up surrounded by so many professional extreme athletes? And how did that like I don't know. Was it? It clearly didn't change your direction with racing, but I bet it influenced it. No, I mean that was a huge, huge part of my life growing up. I remember when I was like 12, 13, 14 years old, skiing around on KT on a powder day, and I'd run into Shane, and I'd go for a run with him and just follow him around. Or I there was just one day particularly I remember I was like 12 years old, and I, I found this little stash like over between Red Dog and Squaw Creek in the woods, and I. And I saw him and I was like, follow me. I found a really good zone. And so he like, he came with me and we skied this little zone through the trees. And like, you're skiing around with these legends growing up. And 
and everybody's at such a high level skiing and like the culture is it's so fun to be like in the mountains skiing that type of skiing so as a kid that was more of my dream than racing like i always raced because that's what my that's what my sisters did that's what my parents did and and that was like what the teams were organized for back then there wasn't a big mountain team back then there wasn't really like a, a free ride team it was more race team freestyle team so yeah you raced but back then we all we all free ski we did everything and i was really torn when i when i was like 14 15 years old nah 14 years old i i skied eagle's nest one morning really early and hiked up and skied this line called the x line on the far um skiers left where you like drop in and there's like a really committed left-footed turn and you have to like transition in the air and jump over a rock and land on the right ski and then do another left turn and then miss the trees at the bottom and I was a really young kid and I like at that point in my career I was sponsored by Vogel like for the sole reason it, because they gave me as many powder skis as I wanted that was like like the racing part was kind of secondary like I was racing and I was competitive and really good but like that's what I lived for and so I skied that and uh, Scott Gaffney and Shane McConkey were standing on the ridge over at KT watching ski down and then they ski down to me and they're like whoa that was amazing like it's so cool like let's go ski the rest of the day and so like just that whole culture was really in I don't know infectious and then yeah that's really what I what I wanted to do um so then yeah right after that day um I talked with Scott and those guys and were like yeah like you definitely could go that direction like that's available that's something that's you could do but at that time um there wasn't really that many opportunities in that world yet. Like for sure there was ski movies and this and that, but there wasn't like a competition, big competition scene and the contracts like compared to racing were probably a lot less substantial. And long story short, they, they met with my dad and no way. they met with me and they like, they like pretty much convinced my dad and myself to be like, Hey, like, listen, like you're a really good racer. You're one of the best ranked races in the country. Like you should see this through as long as you can until you can't. And then when you can't, you can always come back and do this later. Yeah. So that was, so that was the advice that I was given when I was like 14, 15. And so I, I, I still traveled for the next 18 plus years with my powder skis, but I dedicated myself to racing and it led me from like the, this, the Squaw Valley ski team and like the development team all the way to the, the Olympic team and the A team on the U S team and racing, I don't know, 180 world cups and world champs and Olympics and winning races and world championships medals. And I mean, it, it was the best decision I could have made. And it taught me how to be such a, a good skier. And I got to see the world and travel and I lived that dream. And it was, yeah. it was amazing. But the whole time I was always like, my heart and my passion was still stuck back there at home skiing KT and like have, having those dreams. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Super relatable. Cause I was 15 when I made the transition from yeah, racing and training every day to it was actually slope style was yeah. like my in and it was because I was skiing in the park and I had my braid sticking out and I hit a rail and this dude came up to me and he was like hey I'm Jason Leventhal and handed me his business card and it like kind of went from there but at that time like I'm thinking back like we had junior olympics and far west was relatively dominant in jun junior olympics um and that's like when I was 15 I picked up my first sponsor as well it was Rosignol so I was like right next to you. Like, I think I'm a year older than you. Yeah. Right. I'm 36. Yeah. And, uh, and then, but it immediately at the same time got this offer and sponsorship for skiing in the park, but you're right. It wasn't that established. And I think I had like that Jason Leventhal 
gave me the guidance and like entered me into this contest, the U.S. Open, and was like, if you want to do this, you should do this. And I went there and I didn't know how to do a 360. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's other girls and they're hitting jumps and this is so cool. And there was all of eight of them, you know, there wasn't that many people, but it was Sarah Burke, it was Christy Leskinen, Greta Eliasson. So I kind of saw a path, I guess, but like simultaneously, yeah, you have sponsors. Did you ever, like, how did you place in Junior Olympics? Um, I, like, I was... I was pretty good when I was a junior racer. So like I was winning junior Olympics. And as soon as we started racing fists, I was like the best ranked downhill super GC here in the world for my age. And yeah. like, I, I started having success like right away once I, well, I mean, I was always, I wasn't, well, I was always, and then I was also never committed to racing, but that, but I, that was my path. And that was like, totally when I was there, I tried my best every day and yeah. gave it my all. But, um, do you, I want to ask you, do you remember like going in the park and sliding rails when we were kids? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I remember the first, like, it might not have been the first time you slid a rail, but I kind of remember that. Like, I have a recollection of, like, going into the park, like, the mainline park or something, and you were, like, hitting a rail there, and we, like, we like learned how to slide rails together. Totally. Like, remember that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, like, and then I remember bringing, like, other racers into the park and being, let's hit the rails, and getting in trouble for yeah. people ruining their skis. <laughs> <laughs> but I never really cared that much about that. I was like, yeah. oh, I don't know, you can buff it out. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's what I loved about growing up there, though. Like, it was such a diverse skiing culture. It wasn't, like, just racing or just park or just powder skiing, whatever. Like, everybody did everything, and it was, like, really cool to be a part of. And, it's, and fast forward to this day and age, I feel like people are, like, specializing at younger ages more and more, and it's, like, in said in like, race, like like a racer or like yeah. freestyle skier or cross country skier or slope style or whatever like it's really specialized and like for me growing up I loved like sledding and I loved I cross country ski raced and I was on the freestyle team for like a, a little bit and I snowboarded in my backyard and I love shoveling like anything involving snow and like sliding on snow and yeah being, being outside and doing activities like it's it just all helps each other you know it's Totally. Side note. Side note. Sorry. I just. Well, I agree. And I think like part of Far West's success in that. Can you describe Far West? Like I'm describing a region. Yeah. Regional. Yeah. Far. Yeah. It's like Nevada, California, Southern Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. And like our coaches would be like, like I remember specifically showing up to train and Todd Kelly being like, what are you doing? It's a powder day. Go ski. And like they influence us to go ski. And then we could handle like the ruts on a race course because we knew how to ski and we skied the whole mountain. And I think it really did, to your point, like add to the success of the program. Yeah. I mean, that's been the, from day one, like that's been the bread and butter for the Squaw Valley, now Palisades ski team. It's like, like that culture is totally different than any other culture of any race team anywhere in the world, really. Really? Yeah. It's totally unique. Like, Special. like everywhere else it's, it's, it snows four, six, eight inches. You're out there shoveling and slipping or or even worse, the kids like sit inside while like the coaches prep the course and they just like, now they're like sitting on their phones or what, who knows what they're doing inside. Right. Like, like for us, we had like, I think it was like a four inch rule. If it's not more than four inches, we wouldn't even think about training. We just go and like ski with our buddies all day. It's the best training there is. Totally. Yeah. And it brings like so much fun and passion to the sport, yeah. which I always think about that. Like to your point again, like with the free ride world tour and everything, there's like the free ride program and kids are learning to compete in that arena at such a young age and I think it's awesome like I love watching those competitions but I'm wondering if we're missing this step of like just pure love for the mountains and for being out there and teaching kids at a young age that like skiing doesn't necessarily have to be competitive like it is something that is lifelong and it's like it's a passion it's a lifestyle and I think as I get older 
and probably less competitive. I'm recognizing that more, but I think that's such an important part of being a kid yeah. to play. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think that is super important. I think it'd be really cool, like, especially at Palisades, because they have so many teams and, and such big teams. They should do like some kind of week one week a year they change teams they all like all the all the racers join the big mountain team all the big mountain team goes to racing for a week that's an and, amazing and idea. like they, they do these crossovers or like i don't know whatever something like that just to like do something a little different and keep it fun and light and like something new and and meet and like they get, all get to mingle with each other and be friends and yeah. that's something i don't know that'd be a really cool thing to do we should talk to some people i love that idea yeah that's incredible yeah. growing up who were some of your favorite and like very influential coaches that you had um yeah i mean so uh lee schmidt was like a really influential coach i'm sure he coached you as well mm-hmm. um from when we were pretty young and then uh greg jones jonesy yeah he he was the first coach that talked to me about like the mental side of of sport and like but growing up as a kid, you're out there just skiing, having fun, just kind of, you're not thinking about anything. You're just like, which is also beautiful in its own thing, but you get to a certain level and like you need to put a little more thought into things and, and how to prepare yourself mentally for X, Y, and Z. So like, I remember one day Jonesy like took me aside and we, we went on a walk through like the parking lot and he started talking about like his medal at the Olympics. And, and I mean, that was the other thing. A lot of our coaches were all like Olympians and totally. successful Olympians, Tara McKinney. I mean, it's just like, unbelievable growing up with that but yeah jonesy was another big part of it and then like mark sullivan sully like he was like the 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 core and the leadership behind like what seemed like nonsense and no leadership like it was a very loose team like very like free and loose but like he was the glue that like drove it forward and led it in like the direction it went and i mean there's a reason why that team has produced more olympic and professional skiers and I don't know, X Games medalist. You can, you can go on and on than any other club in the country. It's pretty impressive. Is that a stat? That- That's, I think that, I mean, I know for the U.S. ski team, they've produced yeah. more U.S. ski team members than any other club in the country. Wow. And I'm, I, I didn't, I, thinking about it just off the top of my head, like when you, when you look at the Freeride World Tour, how many representatives we have from here, or like park and pipe and slope style and backcountry skiing, ski mountaineering, like it just goes on and on. I think there's yeah. a lot of, I mean, who knows? We don't have to calculate numbers, but it's just there's a very strong presence from yeah. from this region and from that team and from like the culture we grew up with. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and Soli was the leader of it all, but it yeah. did. It felt more like a family almost. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't like a money making thing. It wasn't like driven towards like winning everything. It was just like a community of people that loved to ski. Yeah. And like we didn't have the best training. We didn't have like a van to get to the hill. Like we didn't have like all like a shiny building. Like the, do you remember the team room? Like yeah, the team yeah. room, rest in peace, got torn down. But the team room, that thing was in, needed to get torn down like 30 years ago. That thing is not yeah, nice. but a staple of our channel. But, but it was part of it. Like, yeah. like, like imagine if we had been in some like $20 million shiny new building. Yeah. Like, that like other teams have, you know, like it's just that, that kind of like created this this culture where it wasn't about like the shiny building or like the results or like the people, it was about the skiing. It was about like being with your friends and being on the mountain and like the passion. Yeah. Yeah. We were lucky to have that. I love that. (laughs) And you probably have a lot more experience with other race programs having grown up and become an Olympian yourself. But I know for me, it was like, yeah, this family oriented, we're all skiers. We're all super passionate. We all look out for each other. And it, I mean, you also were mingling with a lot of different age groups like being in that locker room. And I remember, you know, seeing Marco or Julia and these like people yeah. who became very successful ahead of us. And it was like pretty rad to be in their presence and to train the course with them too. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's such a, 
such like a pipeline. Like there's so many people that have come before. There's so many inspirations. Like for me, like, yeah, like Marco or Darren or Julia or my sisters or Tamara. Or, I mean, it goes on and on. Jimmy Huga, like it, it goes on and on. And so like hopefully now and where we are in our careers too, like we can be that next kind of like, I don't know, role model for these kids to follow. And it just keeps going. Like, and, and I'm, I'm stoked to be home for the first winter in 18 years and actually be around and like show my face at training and like go talk to the kids and like just be there you know like that's the other thing like i've been in europe every winter for the last 18 years from like december 5th till march 15th yeah so like the whole winter i've been gone from home so i'm stoked to be home and like be around and see the kids and yeah hey can we make a lap in the race course this year together i don't have race skis well i got peaks they're pretty close to race yeah skis. <laughs> Yeah, he, yeah, Bodhi, yeah, Bodhi makes some stiff skis. I know that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I would like, I've been like loving that and wanting to do that for so yeah. long, but I've always been on twin tips and like kind of shy to get back yeah. into it, but it'd be so fun. Yeah. I mean, my, my long, maybe hopefully not too long term, but one of my goals is to bring back like the town league race series. Yes. And like they, the, when my parents and your parents, like when they all, when everybody moved here, they had this town league race series on Searchlight, the bottom of the exhibition. And every like Tuesday night or Thursday night, I can't remember exactly, they would turn on the lights and it'd be like a softball league where each each like business in town, like Pete and Peters or Todd Trekking Medical Group or whatever, they would all have a team. They'd go race every week. It'd be like a fun community thing. Like We need to do I, that. I talked with Bill Hudson about it a bit and yes. Marco's into it. And yeah, we need to make it happen. That'd be fun. But, I I, but if, even before that happens, we should go hit a race course up and- for sure, yeah. maybe train a little bit. Yeah, the chops back. Yeah, I have yeah. some skis you can borrow. I have some like you can try my big downhill skis or something. Oh no, that's probably way too big. But do you remember Tuesday night downhill too? That, Tuesday night downhill was the best training I ever did in my life to this day. Other, well, other than the one day where when Sully set a downhill down the top from top to bottom on a red dog with no fences and in the dark, loose, loose. But yeah, Tuesday night downhill is like the coolest thing ever. You race the tram down from the top of high camp back down, and the pizza at the chamois was like two dollars a slice or something or i don't know we, all the parents would be drinking eating pizza yeah. we'd be racing the tram to catch yeah. the next tram to go up yeah which is almost impossible so you have to like if i remember correctly like we had our downhill skis we had speed suits sometimes and and you would sprint when the tram got there you'd sprint out of the tram jump in your skis and just tuck top to bottom three and a half miles down the mountain run yeah with it's it, there's lights but there's not enough lights there's totally. like there's like there's like dark sections <laughs> And it's after the ski area had been open all day. So there's moguls. And yeah, there's, they did not regroom. Did not regroom. It was like the best training ever. Cause they, and then you're trying to beat all your friends. And, and, and every once in a while, like in a blue moon, you would like get down and catch the same tram that, or I guess, I guess it wasn't the one you got off. It's the one that was still at the bottom before they sent it back up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, you'd get down, come around the corner, come around Cushing Pond, like rut, like rip by the chamois, click your skis off and run back up into the tram building and try to catch it. It was the best like that there's a reason why uh palisade squad valley racers are really good gliders on the world cup like marco is known as one of the best gliders of all time i was i won i won almost every bottom split i ever did in a world cup the list goes on and on i mean there's so many good gliders from there and that's solely because the mountain run you have three and a half miles of more or less gliding to like find that perfect relaxed balanced position and like let the skis go and those Tuesday night dino sessions were amazing. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. These things that in the moment you wouldn't necessarily think that they're setting you up for those things down the road. No. Yeah. You don't realize they're, they're that impactful. You're like, I mean, it's, it, you, you knew it was fun and like super fun. And like, I mean, how, how do you not have fun? Like you're just, you're there, There's nobody telling you to slow down. You can go as fast as you want and there's nobody on the hill except you and your buddies. Like, yeah. 
and you're battling it out. And you're it. battling. It's like it's like a, the classic Chinese downhill, except well, yeah. it's not as classic as the Chinese downhill, but <laughs> yeah. Although I did race an actual Chinese downhill in my career, but yeah, in China, but yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, the only the first chi- real Chinese downhill, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> I love that. Um, we've kind of talked about your youth. I have one question about it. You have a twin. Yeah. Do you guys, can you like read his mind and stuff? No. <laughs> no, no, we're, Derek and I are like really, really different. Yeah. And I mean, that's not a hundred, that's not totally true. We can kind we, we can communicate without really communicating. Like we, we, we like don't have to communicate to know what we're up to or how we're doing or this or that. Like we have a connection. Yeah. I can't read his mind. He can't read my mind, th- <laughs> yeah. thankfully, but, um, but yeah, it was super fun having a, like a twin brother growing up and, and like pushing each other and everything we did and. Yeah, we we're we're not that close anymore because he when we were like same like 14, 15 years old, he went into music and I well, when I went into skiing and and he uh, he moved to Michigan and went to boarding school at uh, Interlochen Arts Academy for for music and now he's a professor at Boise State University, which is really cool for that's awesome for music and yeah, I mean he's he's a super successful musician and and we we grew up ski racing and playing music together and then we had to decide at one point where we're headed and that was right. that was the choice yeah. and your sisters were both racers two older sisters yeah yeah so megan was on the us ski team before me and then my, the oldest sister ali she was like maybe the best skier in the family according to my parents <laughs> and <laughs> and but she she unfortunately blew out her knee when she was like 15 14 and and never really kind of came back after that but yeah but yeah man and megan was on the team for like 5 or 6 years and my dad um, was a USC team doctor for 20 plus years. And he was also my primary care physician. There you go. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I mean, we, this, yeah, big skiing family and, and everybody lives in Tahoe still, which is really cool, except Derek is in Boise, but uh, my sisters are having kids now and there's all these little rugrats running around and they're learning how to ski. They're showing me around my home mountain, which is amazing. Yes. They're like, come check out this zone. I'm like, I'm like, oh, cool. I've never been here. Yeah, should, let's check it out. And they're, and to see them like light up and take me on like the danger trail to like the teepee or something. Like they're just yeah. like, I can't, you know, this is here. Like, check this out. We found this. Like, yeah. it's so, so cool. awesome. It's so cool seeing the next generation now kind of, yeah, I'm stoked to see what everyone's going to do. Yeah. The next, the next generation. That's awesome. So you're 15 and you make the US ski team. And that was from, because when I stopped, I was 15 and I think, I had also won the Junior Olympics and then maybe didn't go into FIS. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that that's right when FIS kind of starts. Yeah. yeah. So like I think my first year FIS when I was like 15 going into 16 years old, um, the first races, you know, we, we would go down to New Zealand and like train and then do some early season races um, to like get some points to like set us up for like that first year FIS. And so I, at that point I was still on the Squaw Valley Ski Team and the Western Region Team, like the regional team. Yeah. And so we did this camp at Mount Hutt um, with Noel Dufty and Sully and, um, great camp, like getting prepped for my first fist races ever. And, and one afternoon I saw that there was a halfback competition at Mount Hutt. And so after training one day, I was like, I'm going to enter the halfback competition. So I entered the, the competition and I went through the qualifiers and I made it into the finals. No way. And, and I was like starting to be like, Whoa, this is, this is pretty cool. Like, and I, so I kept going, going, going. And I think the, the second finals run, I like, started going bigger and bigger and i i started like doing like some fives and some sevens and then i like the last set of the last round i like over rotated a little bit and landed a little weird and tweaked my knee mm. and like felt something weird go and i went to go click into my ski and i no matter how hard i pushed into the ski i couldn't click the binding in and i was like oh no and this was like a week before my first fist race oh no like going from like the junior level to like the senior level and i, I was still i wasn't on the us team yet just the western region team and so long story short i like 
ripped my up my meniscus like crazy. Oh no! And had to come home and have surgery. I was on crutches for six weeks. Like missed pretty much that first, the first half of that season. Yeah. Um, but then I came back in the spring and like started racing again, and and then late season went to Norway and scored some good fist results that put me on the team. So yeah. But like that was like a, almost a huge hiccup. I mean. Yeah. At the same time, that was a, a good. I mean. It's never a good thing to get hurt, but that was a good thing because it made me realize that I have to like put in work and like dedicate myself to this. Cause it, up to that point, like the culture we had growing up on the squad team was you didn't really like go to the gym or like you just kind of played in the mountains and you were, you skied for fun. And so, yeah. so after that, I was like in the gym working with physical therapists, like that whole season, I wasn't, that was the first year I couldn't ski like every day and all, that's all I wanted to do was go skiing. So like, I like, trained really hard and I actually came back like so much stronger and like so much more balanced and so much more confident on my skis and then it like led me to the team and yeah from there like the development team to the B team to the A team and yeah yeah made a fast progression from there yeah my first knee injury also I think it was 18 when it happened 17 or 18 and it like fully I was like okay now it's time to go to the gym like this is a part of this as well and very much so especially skiing slopes down stuff with all the I don't know there was a huge budgets back then and like there was parties and there was all these things and it was like this rock star lifestyle and people did not go to the gym and people were not focused on their fitness and then one guy had to ruin it for everyone he started going to the gym and then everyone had to go to the gym <laughs> i know what happened i mean that happened in racing but maybe like years 10 ago. 15 years before yeah. that or 20 years so, before that because i i think back in the day like people could like go out and party after races and like I am sure hang, hang out, hang out all summer and go to the lake and fish and just yep. like, like maybe train like, I don't know, for a week or two before the season. I don't know. It, it's totally different now. Yeah. It's totally like, different. It's like we, we have the month of, uh, let's see, we have like the month of May, like three to four weeks in May was our time off. And then, well, I guess, yeah, the first three weeks in May and then end of May through like end of July, we had to be in the gym, double sessions, five days a week. And like, Morning, uh, afternoon. Well, morning in the gym, afternoon, we luckily could go bike or hike or be outside, like, but the cardio session. Yeah. Just like so intense, so yeah. intense to the point where like you just, you have no energy. You're just like grinding. You, you, yeah. It's, it, it was, that, it, that's the hardest part of it. Like it was, and if you didn't do that, you wouldn't be competitive. You had to do that. Everybody started doing that and, and yeah. like doing it at a super high level. And, and there was actually a, a few years after I was on the team, I was still like kind of a, relaxed west coast mentality when it came to summer training and and that season i had a pretty bad season and i like kind of got kicked off the team i was like on the fringe of the team that year and so that season was when i realized i like really needed to like cut out all these other things in my life and just really focus on that yeah. so I, I remember I, I bought these like really nice new shoes and i'm like these shoes are gonna like make me train i'm like i'm gonna train i'm gonna train so hard that like the soles fall off of these shoes more or less and yeah and so i like rededicated myself and like also I, that's when i met marie my fiance okay. and she's from Quebec from the East coast and the East coast, especially Quebec mentality. They're like hard. They're like strong. Like they do everything perfectly. They go to the gym. They're, they're tough. Yeah. So like all she of a sudden you into shape, she whipped me into shape. All of a sudden we were living together and every morning she would wake up and go to the gym for like three hours. And I'm like, what are you doing there? Like three hours. That was the time. Three, yeah. She was, she was always there a lot longer than I was. Like I could, get my sessions done in like an hour and a half or to two hours. But she was like putting in like three hour sessions, like crazy. And so I, I was, I obviously wanted to hang out with her. So I started going there and doing longer sessions and learning from her and also from like the, the trainers we had with the team. And, but yeah, because of her, I like really learned how to train and become a professional athlete. And 
and then I mean progress for, I, if I hadn't have done that at that point in my life I would have probably had an okay career but because of that it like led me to like winning world cups and fighting for medals at the olympics and yeah yeah that was like the, that was the missing piece like I I love skiing I had a, g- a good touch on the snow and I had I had talent but like that that piece was like the the most important part yeah 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 I feel like the culture in free skiing is a lot more like that nowadays I don't think quite as serious yeah. but like I don't know last year for the first time in a while after having my sixth knee surgery I was like in the gym every single day same thing like two hour blocks and then usually biking afterwards but very focused on Olympic lifting and like gaining that muscle mass yeah yeah it makes a huge difference I'm kind of worried about this is like the first summer I haven't trained at all like you gotta get on it I'm telling (laughs) you I know well I know I so when I got we were just in Bali and I got home six days ago and I, I trained like three days in a row because when we were there, we were just, we were surfing and not doing a lot. And I was starting to like, I was like, winter's coming. Like I need to start doing something. Like yeah. I, I didn't train all summer because I was the first summer I had free. So we like biked and went backpacking and road trips and it was amazing. But like one of my fears this winter is that like, I'm going to be missing a fit fitness and power. And like as a racer going into like free skiing and like say going up to Alaska and skiing things like it was effortless and like I could jump off things and make the most amazing turn because I was so strong for racing yeah so now moving forward I'm like well I'm missing that now but we'll see I think I'll be fine yeah yeah you'll get it (laughs) I'll get it but I yeah but I am gonna like these before it's real ski season I'm gonna I'm gonna start to get on a bitter bit of a schedule to because it is important yeah it really is yeah it is I couldn't agree more I also I mean Cause I guess, uh, yeah, I'm stuck in that West coast mentality too. <laughs> like after injuries, I would go to the gym and I would work like incredibly yeah. hard. But then you get to a point and you kind of just like get back to climbing, biking. biking. I'm like, that's full body, but it's, it's it not. is, it, but it's it not. is. No, you get like, you're like, you get fit, but you don't get like powerful Yeah, and, and there's a difference. And when it comes to skiing, like that power is everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt it last year. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm a brick. Like I can land yeah. stuff and pop off stuff good, and I'm it? not going to get hurt. It feels so good. You, yeah. It gives you confidence and it gives you like, you're so balanced and powerful on your skis. Yeah. 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 I'm excited <laughs> for it. Well, it's also just like longevity in, in this sport too. Like I think we would, I would continue to get injured if I wasn't in the gym putting in the time. Yeah, yeah. for sure. No, I mean, it's important. I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to get on a little bit less strict of a program from before but Fair. i'm gonna start doing some some more stuff yeah actually tomorrow morning i'm gonna go ski up at mount rose and do some ski fitness on skis because yes. i when i was in the gym the last couple of days i'm like i should just go ski that'll get me strong too right yeah so they, well see i have this problem where like and i was explaining this to my trainer as well like in the beginning of the season from november and through february i'm human powered mm-hmm. and i don't really i ride the chairlift at palisades and i enjoy that in a ton but like i'm pretty much focused on human power so i lost all my muscle mass yeah and I would be eating as much as I humanly possibly could and losing weight. Yeah. And I'd be like cardio fit, like super yeah. well. But when it came to start filming in March or like February, like, oh man, like mm-hmm. I don't feel that strong. Mm-hmm. So like the dichotomy of those two aspects of skiing are always challenging yeah. for me. And so last year I like, yeah, started even on rest days, I would do a little bit of training, like weight training. Oh, <laughs> side <laughs> That's break. pretty funny. Yeah. Um, Intermission. Just drove up in the car. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but let me turn that off real quick. Oh, that is so funny. He's being all conscious and like. Yeah, he's so nice and quiet. Door. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> How do I stop this? I think once he gets far enough. Um, <laughs> there, there we go. go. 
shout out to asap berg um <laughs> that was pretty comical yeah uh he just turned the sonos on but anyways where was i oh i started taking creatine yeah and yeah. i think that creatine had always been dubbed this like weightlifting thing like and no. for me i was like whoa that's pretty intense but my nutritionist at the time too was like no it's really good for mental focus and it'll help you maintain that muscle mass throughout the season. Yeah. And you'll be able to push a little bit harder, a little bit longer, and which yeah. will help you build a little bit more muscle too. So yeah. it's like, I, I, we would always take beta alanine and creatine. Those, so those two things together would like help, help you be able to push a little bit longer, a little bit harder and like rebuild your muscles a little bit better. And just, yeah, help, help just a little bit of a help to get you like through those blocks as and our lazy west coast mentality when things hurt you kind of <laughs> just go bike and hike and maybe it's not lazy it's just no, more fun i just way more <laughs> well do you see where we live you look out your door and you're like yeah like how can i not go out and do that i, I we all we pretend marie and i pretend sometimes that it's raining outside so we stay inside to do work and things really? like we, we pray for rain sometimes so we can like do some work and like not yeah. go out and do activities it's a real thing it's always sunny here so it's yeah. like you never have a down day but so was, yeah, so we like we actually like make up our own down days. We're like, yeah, let's let's, let's, let's take a rainy day, and we just kind of like get work done and relax and rest and recover. And do you have like blinds you pull down that have like rain coming down? No, just That'd in our good mental. Just track. in our just in our brains, we just yeah. put the blinds down in our brains. It's yeah. Oh, sh <laughs> too bad. Let's let's just hang out and rest today. Yep, it's a bit of a challenge for <laughs> yeah. sure. And now in the fall, I'm like, oh, I'll start work like like right now. It's getting dark almost for 45, and I'm like, I can work at night and then have the day to do it. Yeah, but it is getting colder. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm excited for ski season to start. Big time. Yeah. Um. But okay, back. We've kind of ran yeah. through your childhood and everything, and then in 2017, you had seen like pretty darn good results before 2017. Like your race career was coming up and yeah. you're doing really well. Yeah. Like 2000. When was this? So 2014. Um. I was fifth in the Sochi Olympic downhill, which was like huge. The first big kind of internet. Well, the, so the week before Kitzbühel, I got a brand new pair of boots that for some reason when i slipped in them they just worked like well wow. sometimes you don't you don't there's no rhyme or reason like the plastic's better the fit's better the new model who knows and so i got these new boots and in kitsfield that the week before the olympics i was like seventh in the downhill and fifth in the super g or something and so that made me qualify for the olympic team and then went to sochi and was yeah i guess i was like four tenths of a second from winning gold and i was fifth place in my wow. first olympic start like hundreds away from bronze it was like huge race for me at that point in my career. And then, and then from then on, I started getting podiums and, and then I won a r winning races. Yeah. But that, it was that boot actually. And then once that boot cracked, I had, I had like a little lull for a half a season until I found another good boot. But, but yeah, that was like the beginning of like, like podiuming and, and really being successful on the world cup. Cause before that it was, I was scoring points and it was a grind. It was, it was difficult, but, but then I kind of made that breakthrough. I got my ranking better and my start positions improved. And then I started really. And that must play into your success too, right? When your start position yeah. improves. Yeah. When yeah. you start in the top group with the top skiers, it's just more, more fair within that group of the best skiers. Like every once in a while, like guys in the back have better conditions and maybe some guys throw it into a good result, but it's more likely that like the best skiers in the world, if they all start together, it'll be a little bit more fair. Yeah. And yeah, if you're not starting within that window, also, yeah, it just, it, it makes, you have to play the game a bit to like lower your ranking so you get starting in the right spot so that you, then you can go try to win. So Right. 
And one thing that's always fascinated me with both downhill mountain biking and with ski racing, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the courses are always set exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. So the more experience you have, the more times you've raced in Kitzbühel or the Hanukkah or whatever, yeah. you're going to show up and be better prepared. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you'll be a little bit more relaxed, too, because, like, yeah. first times you show up to these venues, you're just terrified. Like, they're, they don't even look skiable, for one. And then you have to re- and then you have to race down it on a sheet of ice, like, going almost 100 miles an hour. Like, it's... The first time you show up, you, you can you don't even think it's possible. You're like, what is this? Like, like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Some of these tracks are just so dangerous and so in your face. So as a, as a rookie, like it takes a long time to figure out actually how to have the mind game to race those venues, let alone yeah. get down them. And so, I mean, my, my trick for that was the fact that like, I would think back to like jumping off like the roof at Palisades when I was a kid. I, I didn't actually do that. And <laughs> skiing, like skiing some lines that like were super scary back home. I'm like, well, I skied that, like this must not be that much harder. Like, like I would always compare it back to something I skied back home. Yeah. And so that helped me get through it and like excel in those tougher conditions. But. And talk a little bit about that for the audience. Cause I don't think it's very like understandable or like, we don't know, we aren't standing in that start gate when your tips are like yeah. hovering in the air because it's so steep and you're yeah. looking down an icy face. Like, tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I just think that like the, the tracks themselves, like, the way they prepare the snow, it's it's a sheet of ice. Like sometimes you can see through like two feet of ice to the grass underneath the snow. There's no like. snow. And then they 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 prep the surface like, I don't know, say six, seven, eight days before the race, and then it rains and then they slip it. They don't groom it after that. So they so it's prepped and but then it starts raining, it snows, they shovel it, they they slip it, they set the gates, it just gets bumpier and bumpier and bumpier and icier and it's it's anywhere else like in in the in any ski area in the world if it, that slope was at a public ski area it would be closed they wouldn't open it because of safety reasons but yeah they prep it like that for us so that it's one it's more fair so like the the, the ruts don't become too big and it doesn't break down and two this is a climate change thing because it's raining and warmer than ever like those temperatures really wreck the snow and so it's like an insurance policy for the the TV rights holders and the sponsors, because there's a lot of money on the line for each World Cup race. So for them, it's an insurance policy to make a sheet of ice that's going to like withstand higher temperatures. And but it it, it it's at the detriment of the athlete because we're we're the ones that have to like push our carcasses down this hill and try not to get hurt. And yeah, it's extreme. It is really extreme. So it's like as a rookie, it's yeah terrifying. And then after a few years, you kind of get conditioned to it to the point where you like know how to manage that risk and you know when to push and when to hold back and yeah you learn a lot so experience is a huge part of it for sure too like the older you get the more times you have on the tracks the 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 easier it is mentally to then be like oh yeah i've seen this before i this was like that three years ago like it was doable and then you can like focus on going fast yeah versus like the first time the first time i saw kids feel i could see grass underneath the ice and like dirt over here and like i was like what are we this is not skiing like what right. is this yeah that is such a trip yeah it's the same with the alaskan skier and free riding like the more times you've been totally. over there the better you become yeah. at managing that terrain yeah. very different circumstances but yeah yeah it's similar though because you because you like see enough and you like experience enough to to like know one what what's safe and what's not safe and how to manage certain terrains and find safe zones and like it yep. like it's the same in racing where you like you, you, you've done it enough times to know like where to push on the ski or where not to push on the ski, like, w- like when to take risk, when not to take risk. It's, it's, it's relatable. And, and it's the same thing where you have to fully commit when you do push off into, off into the start or off on a big line in Alaska, you have to commit. 
Yeah. And and before you commit, you have to like think about every single aspect, know exactly where you're going to go, have a contingency plan. Like there's all it's it's so relatable, which is why like like I I that's my goal moving forward. I'm I'm the last two years I spent two and a half weeks in Valdez and and just kind of getting back into that, and I I love it. So I'm I'm trying to get more and more into. Yeah, yeah, because I think it relates really similarly to downhill ski racing. Mm -hmm. Taking a quick break from this episode to thank another sponsor of the show, Deuter. The fine folks at Deuter have been making innovative, hard-wearing products of high quality for more than 120 years, with the aim of ensuring they have the longest possible lifespan. They've made packs for everything, including some epic packs for bike packing. I didn't know that. That's amazing. And an award-winning avalanche airbag with a specific women's fit, which is always appreciated. They make backpacking packs, trail running packs, even backpacks with that fine German engineering for carrying your kids. In 2022, Deuter won the German Sustainability Award Global Partnerships with their Vietnamese partner company and are leaders in constantly auditing the workspace and making it better. I appreciate that. I learned a ton checking out their website and was impressed with how much emphasis Deuter puts on responsibility. Go see for yourself 120 years of making packs and bettering the company. And it is so mental and it's understanding how to ski that terrain, like skiing it diagonally and where your slough's going to end up. And sometimes you still make mistakes. Totally. <laughs> but you try to manage it and you try to like, like have a plan. And it's a, yeah, same with ski racing. Like you manage it by having a plan and talking about it with your coaches or yeah, visualizing. Yeah. But I'm glad I don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would imagine that's like quite stressful too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, every weekend, yeah, I mean, every weekend, all winter long, like, from venue to venue, there's prize money, there's TV cameras, there's fans, there's your sponsors, there's your coaches, there's your country. Like, there's all this pressure to perform, and and then you're having to like make sure you you get all your ducks in a row so that on race day you can actually push and like, and then you have to get to the point where you trick yourself into like taking enough risk to win. Like, it's right. I, that's how I always saw it. I was like trying to trick myself on race day to, to like, I don't know. I don't know how I did. I just turn my brain off and go, but like it's, yeah. You didn't have like a method to the madness or did you? No, I mean like my method to the madness was like taking care of all the little details so well that I didn't have to think anymore. Right. So like making sure like I was rested, I ate the right thing, my body was feeling good, like my my skis were, like every little detail with the tuning of my edges was dialed. Um, I put my left sock on before my right sock, like details, you know, like all yeah. these little things that like would help me like check off all the boxes and like to the point where I like got into the start and I had zero doubts and I could turn my brain off and just ski. And then that's when like, like if you, when, once that happened, then like you're all the years of training and like the touch and the feel and the flow and the fun comes out. Yeah. And cause it is fun. Cause it is fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's super fun. It's not, there's nothing like it. Like I'll. I'll never race a World Cup downhill again, and I'm that that part like makes me sad, because it is the most fun thing you'll ever do. Like you go from the top to the bottom of a mountain, say like seven kilometers or whatever, in three minutes, two and a half minutes, right? One and a half minutes, and you're going 100 miles an hour, going up jumps. They've prepped this whole hill for you. There's nobody else on it. It's literally you pushing as hard as you can to go as fast as you can on this mountain. It's like so fun, so fun, and so adrenaline. Yeah. Like you get across the finish line and like, no matter what the, I wish there was no times involved. I wish it was literally just like, <laughs> like I hate, I don't really enjoy the competition aspect, but like the feeling that you have when you cross the finish line after doing something like that, you're like, you're shaking. Like, you're just like, holy shit. That was cool. Like, yeah. And everybody down there, all the downhillers, it's like a brotherhood. Everybody's yeah. like talking and laughing. And like at the start, it's like, 
like the most serious intense thing you'd ever imagine like, yeah people are just like in their heads doing their own thing to like trick themselves to be able to go down and race it's crazy but then at the finish like it's just like a full-on party thing like yeah. like if there were no times involved and no like winner or loser it would be the coolest thing because everybody, everybody would be down there just so stoked yeah and uh, unfortunately it is a race so like people get down and even though the, the feelings they had were probably amazing like they didn't perform how they wanted and the right. result didn't work out and so there's there's that side of it too but are there any rifts amongst the competitors or is it pretty much a brotherhood like you said in in downhill particularly because it's just so very dangerous and dangerous and it's it's like there's there's not a lot of crossover between like gs and downhill for example or slalom and downhill but a lot of the slalom and gs guys do super g mm-hmm. and so like super g gs and slalom like there's a lot of overlap but the, the actual guys who are willing to do the downhill it's like very unique yeah and it takes like a certain mentality and so that that core group of downhillers is like very tight-knit and yeah even though like yeah, like the Swiss or the Austrians or the French or the, like everybody has their own little thing. But at the end of the day, we're all like friends and we're all like supporting each other. And yeah, I mean, certain people like keep certain, I don't know, trade secrets to themselves for sure. Right. But well, it's still a competition. It's still a competition and there's still money on the line. There's there's a lot riding on each race. But yeah, but like but you guys aren't like shit talking in the no, start gate. No, <laughs> I mean. I never, I never saw that. Yeah. I'm sure it happens, but. Well, I had to ask yeah. Levi Leibheimer when I yeah. interviewed him. I was like, are you guys like shit talking and like bumping elbows in the Peloton? He was like, no, this shit is so dangerous. We're all so focused. You can't even have a conversation. Yeah. And I was like, oh, damn, I kind of imagined like. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought, I would have thought that would have been a different answer too. I thought yeah. like in road cycling, it'd be a lot of that. Like Totally. Yeah. Apparently not. Okay. But I guess, I mean, Levi's such a nice guy. I could yeah. see it just not. You know, he wasn't maybe in that bubble, but maybe it still exists. Yeah. Kind of like you think it does. I know. Uh, yeah. You yeah. think it would, but. Just yeah. healthy shit talking. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. Um, yeah. I was reading about the Hanukkah and it says it's a 51% grade, which like in an 85% incline. 85% to me is so messed up. That's I, like probably off the mousefale, which is like yep, the exactly. jump at the top. Mousefale. I was yeah. calling it the mouse fall. Yeah, mousetrap. It, it, it translates to mousetrap. Okay. Because you put you push out of the start and it's super steep already, but then you do you navigate this like left turn, this right turn, then you jump off this thing you're, called the mouse folly. What? And and you're you get up, you go from one to like to sixty kilometers an hour in like four seconds or something. Oh my god! And then you go off the mouse folly, and that's where you land on like the eighty-five degree right into a compression. Oh my god! Into U-turn. Yeah, it's it's. So you, have you been there? You haven't been there. No, I want to go right. so. Bad. I'll, I'm going back this winter. Really? To enjoy it from the other side. Oh, and that's cool. It'll be cool to watch it from that side because yeah. that. I mean, that's yeah. The, the only other place that's maybe more intense is at the start is maybe Bormio, Italy. Okay. Down on Bormio because that one is like icier, darker, bumpier, and there's some there's some weird little like compressions that you can't see, and the, and you're going maybe faster even. Wow. And that one, like, there's been a lot of accidents there. Did you blow your knee in Bormio? Yeah. 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 Not on that section, but yeah, in Bormio. Okay. Yeah. 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 And how, I mean, the crashes that you see as a spectator on the race course are, like, otherworldly. Yeah, I don't watch that stuff. I, I try not to watch. Yeah, I imagine so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But was it, like, I mean, was it a really bad fall when you blew your ACL? No. Um, When I blew out my knee, that was, like, a, uh, a month before the South Korea games, and the that season i had like yet to hit my groove i was like kind of struggling struggling a little bit um i was still in the top group and i was like 
kind of getting to the point where it was like the fourth race of the year and I had to start like pushing and like start getting some results going because I wasn't happy with how I was skiing. So that race day, um, I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to push a little harder and like see what happens. And so I, I was having a pretty good run and I was starting to push a little harder. And then there's this one section in the middle where I like came into a turn and like really tried to like push hard where I probably should have just been a little bit more like relaxed because there was a huge hole that mm-hmm. had formed. Mm-hmm. And so I went in like fully committed to the ski and hit this hole and it like high sided me. Right. Which, and I didn't even, I like, it wasn't even a real, like I didn't really crash. It just kind of high sided me and I was on my side. And I was like, oh, that's too bad. But then I went into the fences mm. and, and at that section, like they didn't have to have fences there because there, there was this like clear fall line into this next traverse section. But for some reason they put up some fences because there was no snow. I mean, there was enough snow to slide, but like not enough for the race. Yeah. So they put up this fence. Which, so I went in the fence, got tangled up and just like everything tore my knee. That's when it blew. Yeah. 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 It wasn't from the crash. It was from the fence. Yeah. So I was, yeah, that was a bummer. And then, and then I was stuck in the middle of the race course between these fences and in like this much deep, fresh snow and they couldn't get to me and the race yeah. was still going. They didn't stop the race. And then they couldn't get a helicopter to pick me out because it was like a chairlift there and, and. They, they put up the fences again and kept running the race and I was just stuck back there. Oh, and, no. And then, so, so then they brought these two, like, ski instructors or patrol with a sled on the ice and tried to bring me down the slope, but it was too icy. Oh, my gosh, and, yeah. And they were losing it, and so I gripped in with my hands to, like, not die, like, coming down. In the sled. In the sled, and, yeah. I had my, all my fingers were, like, all cut up and bruised from, like, trying to, like, help get down. Trip. And then they put me in an ambulance because there was a road like right there and it yeah. went down this like six mile bumpy road and then this left me at the hotel and I was like, whoa, I was all alone. I was like, what just happened? Oh, was- <laughs> must have been so sad. Yeah. Stuck in the fences with your ACL. <laughs> yeah. And they like kept running the race because it's, there's TV intervals and yeah. the, their, their whole goal is to make money with TV rights. And so they like need the, the, the show needs to go on. Yeah. And it was kind of a, a, a mess. Like they should have, Yeah. Who knows what happened there? It was Borbio, Italy. There, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Wild. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty blown away because the steepest slope I've ever been on was uh, 57 degrees. And, like, it was not full powder, but I was like, I don't know if you can really ski and make turns down much steeper. Yeah. I mean, on the mouse folly, you're not really turning, though. That's you're you're like, straight. Yeah, you're just, like, jumping into it and then accelerating. And, then... and like, I read also that you're... Uh, the forces exceed three G's. Yeah. How is that feel? That's why you have to train all summer. Yeah. It's, yeah. No, because there's a lot of people who maybe like aren't as strong or they're from a different country that it's not really, doesn't have a culture in ski racing. And they like, each country's allowed one racer in the race. If you're top, I want to say 350 in the world or something, like you can enter the race at, on the nation spot, it's called. So a lot of times you get these these other people coming to the race who aren't, super strong haven't been training all summer and they hit these compressions and just like lose it go onto their back and slide out lose yeah because you have to like you, you go and you go into these compressions going like 80 miles an hour and and you have to like drive so far forward and just like brace yeah bracing it yeah it's, yeah yeah it's a bit mind melting i yeah. love talking about it actually because yeah. it's this different aspect of skiing that is so separated from what we do yeah. but it's like yeah but it's all it's all relatable too. Totally. You hit a compression, you know what that feels like. It's just like yeah. amplified a few times. Okay, I'm gonna go to the gym for three hours tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Have fun. Yeah. No, I've been on a group fitness program at five forty five in the morning. Oh wow. Kind of a game changer if you wanna come. It's a Where? lot of ladies, but uh, at Tall Fit. Fit. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. It's been just, am- <laughs> I've been doing that and then going to high altitude and like. Supplementing with some like cleans and things. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Because it's, it's good for muscle building, but I feel like it might be yeah. toning and sculpting. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally. important. <laughs> but I need to get three G's worth of muscle yeah. mass on my body. No, you don't need that. That's, that's like, <laughs> yeah. No. Did okay. you and your fiance Marie travel a lot together then? Or were you separate throughout the season? Yeah. So that was, that was maybe one of the most fun parts about this whole journey was that all winter long, um, every weekend, like the women, the women would race somewhere in the Alps and we would race somewhere in the Alps. So the races would be like Saturday, Sunday or Friday, Saturday. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or maybe there'd be a week off of racing. We would always get to meet up somewhere in Europe. Awesome. And so my team had their, we had our home base in Innsbruck. We had an apartment in Innsbruck, which is this awesome place to go back to after each race. And so we, she would come there and meet me all the time, or I would go meet her and we, we, we had all these friends from all different countries who were racers. So we'd go stay at friends' houses in like yeah. Cormier or like, yeah, all over the place. Like we would just go and yeah, have these amazing experiences. And it was cool too, because like she started traveling with her touring gear as well and our cross country skis too. And so we would go and, on these amazing ski tours and cross country skiing and exploring like when we could yeah. between races together. And That's so funny. like we kind of lived in Europe together for all this, these last years and yeah. lived this life. It was really cool. Um, yeah, really, really fun. And did she retire right before you? Yeah. We, yeah. So last season she was also racing. Um, she told me that she was ready to retire a bit before I, I decided. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she had a crash in Cortina in, in the world cup there last year. Um, and had like a bit of a scare for her knee. And so she, she kind of, after that kind of came to terms with like, not wanting to take risk anymore mm-hmm. and and she kept kind of doing a few races and like trying to figure out what she wanted to do like going through her process to like say goodbye to it um but like yeah yeah she was she was ready and then for me like i um last year in lake louise uh we were staying at the chateau lake louise a beautiful hotel like opening race of the year like it's always exciting you feel like you're in like christmas fairy tale land it's like mm-hmm. beautiful in, in uh, alberta and the first day it snowed two and a half feet and they canceled training. And I was sitting there alone in my room, like looking out the window at the lake, like resting and waiting, mm-hmm. wait, waiting to like for the next day being like, I just want to go climb and see that peak right there. Like it's just sitting right in front of me, yeah. like right there. Like, yeah. but I know, but like, I know I can't. And so I that came, is torture. Actually, torture. Travis. So like like yeah. for someone who loves skiing as much I as know. you and I, and it's a powder day and you're not going and yeah. you're resting in your yeah. room. It's torture. Torture. Yeah. Torture. And so. First came, world problems, but yeah, it feels totally, really yeah. No, I, I came to the realization that like, yeah, I, I can't do this anymore. I need to like, I can't, I can't wait anymore to like do all these things I want to do. Like, like I love racing and I did everything I wanted to in the sport and yeah. I accomplished so much. I dedicated 18 years to the U.S. team and, but at that moment I was like, all right, um, I'm ready. This is gonna be my last year. Like I want to go and have time to go climb and ski that and do this and do that. Like, yeah. So that, that was cool because once I came to that realization, I like, I got to like go back to every venue one last time and like say goodbye to the venues and like enjoy it one last time and like give it my all too. And and like really, um, yeah, try my best knowing that it was my last chance. Like I wasn't just learning and like for the future years there, I was like, this is it. So that actually helped unlock some like better skiing in me too. That's kind of, that's kind of what led me, I think, to that podium in Kitzbühel is, yeah. is like knowing that it was my last run, my last chance. Like that was always the biggest dream in my career was to like win or podium in Kitzbühel. Yeah. So yeah, knowing that was my last chance really helped like elevate that one last time. And then, How so? 
like on a mental aspect like if you could dig in be your best personal therapist like how do you think that unlocked that ability yeah i think my my whole career like i was always a talented skier and i had a, a ton of potential and so i think i came to a lot of venues a lot of races like with a mindset of like i'm gonna learn for the next time i come here and i'm gonna like maybe not push to 110 percent like I'll, I'll go at like 80 90 percent and like not get hurt and learn and and still ski well and ski fast but maybe like not take 100 percent risk mm -hmm. and so i did that for a long time and and i kind of got comfortable in that zone and i was getting top tens and podiums and i was winning a couple races like it was working mm -hmm. um but at the same time i was always kind of like waiting a little bit mm -hmm. and so and so then as soon as i decided i was going to retire i was like all right this is, let's just enjoy this now and like not like stop playing the game. Like now I'll just like enjoy it and ski for myself and like really enjoy the actual physical skiing part of it mm -hmm. and not like be like, Oh, like I'm learning for the future. I'm, or I like, I'm trying to make my ranking better for the next year. Or like I'm like all these things just were out the window. I was like, I'm just doing this for myself, pure joy, pure fun. Like let's go. And then I just relaxed. Yeah. 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 I find similarly and oddly every year after I have a knee injury, so there's been six of those, <laughs> um, I've skied my best. Yeah. And it is because I don't put pressure on myself to perform. Yeah. Because I'm like, everyone knows I'm coming off a knee injury. Yeah. Like, this it's is kinda, fine. like a, yeah, you don't have to like prove yourself or anything. Totally. Like, there's nothing. It's, yeah. You're just out there kind of re start starting again and skiing for yourself. And yeah. Skiing for yourself. Yeah. But I'm like, how do you take that mindset yeah. every year? I know. It's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. Yeah. Because while our sport's not competitive, I still still feel this like pressure and I have these expectations of myself and mm. like you still want to perform at your highest level yeah. and you know your potential yeah but snow is an odd element too you well, can't the, always yeah. maximize your potential no you're at the the mercy of mother nature and you totally. have to like be in the right place at the right time and yep it's tough I mean I'm now that I'm going to my next ski career like I'm learning all about this whole new world and it's actually like more difficult because in the past you could prove yourself through results through races yeah. and through tv and you had like a national governing body supporting you with traveling and coaches and support and i mean there was it was pretty black and white like this is what you have to do and this is how you're going to do it and now it's like I, I love like the creative side of it like now i'm free to like plan these trips and like pitch these ideas and like sign with these different companies and it, there's so much more but then at the same time like you have to deliver on those deals and like figure out ways to to add value and prove that like it's this they, why why should they support you like they, they're, it's just different it's yeah it's hard but yeah but i'm learning and, I, and it's i think it's gonna work out it's gonna be fun yeah U ultimately it's all just so i can keep skiing for myself and enjoying totally that. yeah well i'm excited and i yeah. do want to talk about like what is your envision for the next however many years like what do you want it like skiing for yourself and exploring the mountains but is yeah. there something more than that are there goals involved are you a goal-oriented person um I mean, I had to be as a racer because they made yeah. me fill out goal sheets all the time. But I hate, <laughs> I hated that. <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm just stoked to get back to like my 14 year old self. Yeah. From like when I was just ripping around, like falling around guys like Shane McConkey and like wanting to be a free skier and yeah, connecting back to the mountains that way. And now I have this like platform that I established as a racer to like go out into the world and like go on these trips and like share these moments with people and and ski ski in a different aspect like go back to some of maybe the same venues but like go actually ski the whole place or like go climb this mountain or do that or do this i mean very cool the first big ski trip we did was uh last month in like southern chile in argentina mm -hmm. and so we like rented this camper van or this truck with a cab over camper shell and we drove around and skied and climbed volcanoes 
and just like unplugged from the world and went to hot springs and it was it was like three and a half weeks of camping and skiing and Love. unplugging and and with that like I was able to partner with a couple of my sponsors to kind of help pay for the trip and figure out some photographers to join us and do some things on the side with that yeah um and then moving forward like yeah doing more more trips and more more projects like that I mean there's a new a new ski brand that I might be signing with here pretty soon which is going to be really fun to help launch them into North America oh exciting developing equipment I mean bring bring I as a racer I had to more or less like design and build boots with Atomic for my whole career and right we were testing countless boots every year and tweaking them and fine-tuning them and deep deep into the like the boot building world and so I'm stoked to bring some of that knowledge to like the the touring backcountry world and yeah make some better products and yeah and then cool. also hosting trips like I partnered with a hotel in Austria and another hotel in the Dolomites to like host a ski week so I'm doing a ski week this year in January awesome and then another one in end of January in, in uh, the Dolomites and then I have, where like, can people sign up for that um that that will be announced here very shortly but I haven't announced it yet so it's awesome. yeah it's called the Monshine Hotel in Steuben in like the Arlberg region yeah and it's on like the snowy side of the Arlberg so like St. Anton is like on the east side this is on the west side of the the Arlberg Pass and there's a zone there called Albonda they call it Albonda Alaska it's like a thousand fifteen hundred meters of like true north facing steep off-piece skiing that's this hut has a, or sorry, this hotel has a mountain hut halfway up the zone. And so they can access all this other train from there. And it's going to be really cool. I'm going to do it the next couple of years. I'll be hosting these weeks skiing there, which will be really fun. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And then I, uh, Pulse Line Adventures, a heli ski operator in, in, uh, Valdez. They're actually based here in Tahoe city and then, or in, sorry, in, in Palisades, Tahoe, um, and in Idaho, but they, um, I've been working with them for the last two years as they've kind of established their brand and their company and I'll be helping them moving forward too with their strategy and figure out what they're doing next. And like this this trip in Chile we just did, we we joined them for three days to open up this new lodge that they're going to start bringing clients to next year for yeah. touring and heli skiing. And yeah, I mean, there's they, the sky's the limit now. Like there's totally. I, like I can be creative and use my like my passion as a skier to align with the right people to like get other people stoked on skiing, inspire people, get back to my like core need of skiing <laughs> yeah, and, and just like enjoy life without the stress. Yeah. Well, I was do love that aspect of it being creative yeah. and you can like host trips or you can go do this. You can try photography. You can, yeah. Well, so in this cool. day and age with like social media and, and a camera on your phone and like, it's so easy to kind of like show the world what you're up to. And then there's value in that to brands. And it's like, almost I don't know if it's easier than it used to be but there's more opportunities and there's more like creative ways to stay involved and yeah in the industry and I don't think it's easier because of that yeah. but I think it provides you with more opportunity yeah and you can shape that as best as you can you can and tell your story without having to like commit to like one of the major film companies yeah. and like dedicate this time like it, it gives you more outlets to like be involved yeah but but at the same time it's probably super challenging to like navigate that world of social media and content creation and it's interesting it's, i mean we've kind of grown up with it like yeah. i didn't have instagram when we started and it was on your results at the slope style contest and yeah. if you showed up and you filmed a good video part otherwise you were clipped and that's just how it went and now it is so different but i think i mean there's negatives and positives to everything but it does allow you to have this opportunity to represent yourself in your own way yeah. and i think like as a professional adventure sports athlete like you're your own boss there's no boundaries really yeah. to our job 
it's not a nine to five. Yeah. But if you treat it as such and you like are diligent and respond to emails and come up with these unique ideas, then it can go on for a very long yeah. time. Yeah. Which I think is cool. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. It's really, it's really fun, I think. And I mean, ultimately, like I want to inspire people to like be healthy, be outside, enjoy the mountains, like yeah. connect with nature, connect with people. Like, yeah. like the in this digital world, like it's so amazing to just go on a hike with somebody in the woods with a pair of skis and just connect. Like it's, yeah, yeah like that, like society, the best in society comes out when you're out in the woods hiking with a friend or like meet somebody in the mountains or at the beach or on a surf break or yep. like it's, th- those things are more important than ever. So it's like, how can I talk about it and keep that on the forefront and remind people that like, yeah, life is short. You have to go out and do these things and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point and I've been like adding this into like when I'm renegotiating contracts or just talking to sponsors I'm like we as a society have put like Instagram and uh you know social media it's so quantifiable because it's a number you have this many followers that post got this many likes but what's even more impactful is these in-person um interactions whether that's signing a poster and connecting with someone for a short minute or having a long and drawn out conversation or teaching someone how to use their beacon shovel and probe. I think those connections are way more valuable, but I think they're often overlooked in our industry. And I keep pushing that idea. I'm like, yes, yeah. but like they're hard to get metrics. Real people. Oh yeah. no, they're hard to get metrics on that stuff. Yeah. Like, like I remember I was hiking up Shirley Canyon a couple summers ago and I ran into this couple from Southern California who were visiting. And I kind of like took the time to like chat with them and I let them know like what I was up to and I'm a, I'm a skier and this is where I grew up and this place is like be able to like give me all this opportunity to be a go to the Olympics more or less. It's mm-hmm. kind of like how that conversation went. And that guy was so fired up to like meet me and like was so inspired and they sold their house. They moved to Palisades. They live here now and they ski here every day. And See? like, that's impactful. That's a, that, that's people moving because people of you. Moving yeah. and, like, and like changing their lifestyle because yeah. you like had the, like a conversation with them tell me totally. and they like, yeah, but that's, you can't measure that through Instagram. No, you can't. <laughs> no. But it's hard when like yeah. the sponsors are all about that. Yeah, I know. Because so that's keep yeah. shifting that conversation. Yeah, I I'll good. try. I'll try to yeah. keep talking about it more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tell me about Kitspiel and tell me how it felt to go through that process and knowing that that was your last time dropping in. Like I want to hear about that. Yeah. So the so there's two downhills this year in Kitspiel, which is like in itself just irresponsible. Like it's so crazy to have to do a race go through the whole Kitspiel race and then go to sleep and do it all over the next day. Like, oh, wow. Like it was intense. Wow. So, and that's not normal? No, normally it's just like one one race. Like this is it. It's like this is the Super Bowl, like now or never. Like it's it's kind of special. But it, for some- Is that the biggest like Super Bowl of- Yeah. 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 Could, yeah that's the biggest race on tour. The, the most fans, the highest prize money. Um, if you win that within ski racing, it's like way more important than like the Olympics or the world championships. It's- it's the hardest track. It's the most prestigious one. It's it, you're a legend there. It's like yeah. if you win that place, it's like for life. For life. Like it's just like <laughs> the ultimate dream of any racer. And so, the the first day, um, I started first, and which is also scary always. But yeah. um, but I like was skiing really well. And back in um, well, yeah, back in like uh, back in August, I told my coaches in Chile that like my goal for the season was to have a podium in Kitzbühel. I like called it out. So that week I showed up like with that still in my mind and I was ready. So I, so that first race, I like, I think I had like a winning run more or less. Like I, I had an amazing run, skied so well. I was so happy across the finish line and was in the, in the leader's seat for like the next 12 or 13 guys. Like I was in there for a while. Wow. Like I went and did some interviews and like 
actually when Svindal was like, I think he might've just done this. Like he was like losing his mind too. And it was dumping snow. It was like pretty bad weather. So, uh, sitting there in the leader box and all of a sudden the snow starts to lighten up and then the sun comes out and then all of a sudden people start getting faster and faster and faster. And so I, at the end of that day, I, I ended up seventh, um, like three tenths of a second out from winning. Like it was tight. Like it, yeah. it was like kind of close. Three um, tenths of a second. It was maybe, maybe it was a little more than that, but it was not much. Like it was like, like guys from the back throwing it in just barely in front of me. It's right. like, oh my God. Like that was like. It's so close. Yeah. So. So I, I like had a, had a bit of frustration out of that race because I knew that like that was, I was seventh. It was a great result, but I knew that like that was a good run. Yeah. And so, so that next day, like, I don't remember like ever thinking about this was my last chance or anything. Like I just like buckled down and like put my head down and like took care of all my things the way I do it and showed up and just like did it again. And and then that day, like the weather and the conditions kind of stayed more stable and I still was beat by like Kilde and you know, Johan Claret, which who had amazing runs. Like they were miles ahead of me, but but still I had that podium that day and it was yes. an amazing experience. Yeah. So how did it feel? Like explain those emotions. <laughs> like I wanna know. Yeah, I mean I just it just you just start smiling. I don't know. It's yeah. like like you work your whole life for something and like yeah, I had won World Cups and I've had an amazing day skiing before, but that was like the one. And so yeah, like you get down there in the finish and you know you you've done another amazing run. And I, again, I was in the leader's box for like a solid 30 minutes. Oh my God. And so you start thinking and, and then, I mean, and then I, all of a sudden I was in second and all of a sudden I was in third. And then, then it gets a little nerve wracking because you're sitting there like watching guys come down like close. Yeah. But, um, but then after like, I don't know, bib like 40, 50 is through. And then you start like realizing like, holy shit, this is going to happen. Like this is like thing. And, yeah. Yeah. And then the rest, after that, it was just like such a whirlwind. Like, like we did like the the prize giving ceremony, and then, um, and then driving from that. Like, I mean, there's like fifty thousand fans that are like blocking the the exit to the to the like prize giving ceremony. So wow. you're like, I had this like two I had two bodyguards and like my ski technician and my the media girl from the U.S. ski team, um, and like this whole entourage like trying to corral me to get through this like these like crazy fans that were just hammered drunk like celebrating like it was cra the craziest thing ever but they like funnel me out of there i get in the drug testing car uh go go to the, do the drug testing do all that thing and then coming out of drug testing like the organizing committee's there with like schnapps so you do like this like schnapps table thing for 30 minutes and take photos and just start drinking and, right and then it's like yeah and then and then you finally get back to the hotel have some food but then we had to go get tuxedos fitted um, wow. for the for like the kids party afterwards. So yeah, we went and had uh, got some tuxedos, and then uh, my friend has this burger and and uh, like smoothie place in town. Um, so we went to his place and had this like little private kind of party with like like Darren was there and uh, Knudsen, uh, Eric Knudsen from Palisades like was there with some patrollers. So they all showed up awesome, yeah. and a bunch nice of coaches and, and yeah, people it was there, awesome. Yeah. yeah, he was the one who yelled at me out of the start, letter buck. And it like threw me off. I was like, whoa, who, like, who is that? Like, it didn't throw me off. It got me fired up yeah. to hear like somebody speak English and say that. Yeah. I was like, what? Let her butt. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. So that had a little like party there with all my people, which was like super cool. Changed into my tuxedo and like this tiny little bathroom at the burger place. <laughs> and then, and then I had a limo service up to the, um, the kids party, which is like one of the most expensive, prestigious kind of gatherings of people it's not really it's it's for the race but it's also like a business forum like a world business forum thing in a right. meeting so so we were yeah we got we did this whole kids fuel 
party, kids party thing and went up on the stage and spoke and got our trophies and all did all these things. It was, it was wild. It was like meeting like sheiks and like CEOs and like, right. just like, like, yeah, people in the government, just like the craziest gathering right. of people you could ever imagine. And it's a ski race. You're like, what is going on? This is crazy. Um, you're like a god with cool. bodyguards. If you have bodyguards, bodyguards you yeah, know you can like make. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, I was like trying to joke around with the bodyguards. I was like trying to poke a little bit and like joke with them, and they were so serious. They were like, <laughs> they didn't like. I don't think they appreciated that. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but yeah, but then after that, finally, like all the like, all the like pomp and circumstance was done, and then I got to go like meet up with all my teammates and all my friends and family, and and then we went to the Londoner and did the Londoner thing, which is the yeah. What's the, I don't know what the Londoner is. So the the Londoner (laughs) is like the super famous, um, like Apres ski bar in Kitzbühel. Okay. And it's like very legendary for the race in particular, because every single year, like the, the podium guys all go there and party all night. Yeah. And what, what they let us do is they, they like carry you in and they put you behind the bar and then you're, you're the bartenders for like the next three hours or four hours. Yes. And so you're just slinging drinks and throwing beer and it's just like, everyone's like clothes starts getting ripped off. It's just like. It's mayhem. pretty, it's mayhem. It's like a classic Apreski Austrian party. Yeah. But like ramped up a couple notches. Totally. All the World Cup races are there. And oh my God. So, and I, so I, when I was first going to Kitzbühel, I, I went there um, a couple times like to help celebrate with a teammate or this and that. But then six or seven years ago, I decided that I wouldn't go back until I had a podium. Cause I was like, all right, this is like not healthy. Like I, I, I've done this. Like this is like, I'm going to, I'm going to set an ultimatum. Like I'm not coming back until I get on the podium. So Dang, you earned it. So I didn't go for six years. And then, and then that was kind of like the, the, to cap off the cap off the day. Yeah. That is quite <laughs> it was special. cool. And yeah. And then I got COVID for the first time after that party, but <laughs> well, worth it. Worth it. Yeah. Probably worth it. it. Yeah. Worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow, I love that. Yeah. Um, so special. Oh, the other thing was I, I like had nowhere to put my trophy. And so I was walking around town with like 50,000 people with this trophy <laughs> and just handing it to people. And so the next day there was like marks on it and like yeah. great scratches and like the paint was falling off. And yep. But I love it. It's like, it tells a story. It's has totally, character. it's yeah. So now it's sitting at my house with like all these like marks from that night, which that's is cool. awesome. Yeah. I have definitely downstairs have like two completely broken trophies for best female performance from the powder awards that yeah. like you just have this thing on you and it gets broken and it's, yeah, I haven't fixed them. I like them in pieces. Yeah, totally. It's fine. <laughs> I don't have a trophy room. No. Do you have a trophy room? No. No. No, we have a few like on the mantle, but yeah. 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 Some of the proudest yeah. ones are up there. Yeah. Yeah. Kitzbühel's up there. Yeah. Kitzbühel and like the world champs. I want to see them. Yeah. 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 That's cool. <laughs> I don't think I have oh, I have like a golf closest to the pin trophy right nice. there. And I think I have the Shane McConkey PMS actually. Yeah, that one should be out. Yeah. That one's worthy. Those ones <laughs> are yeah, totally. The golden saucer though is quite large and yeah. Also very dented up because people were sliding down on yeah, it. Yeah, I mean it's a saucer, you have to use it. Yeah. <laughs> um, will we be seeing you at this year's PMS? Um undecided. It's it's maybe more dangerous than Kitzbühel. So. It's pretty dangerous. Yeah, so we'll see. I got into head-on collision I know. last year. Yeah. I'm dizzy. Yeah, Connery got taken out. You got hit. Connery, people were out to get him. I've yeah. 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 yeah I got hit or hit this guy. Dude, did I you, Did you have a concussion? No, I was fine. I took this guy out. But I went down. I have it on the GoPro. And his he double ejected. And I didn't even stop. I didn't say sorry or anything. I just kept going because I had a one drink <laughs> yeah, like mine. Yeah. yeah, it's a race, right? You do that. That's what you do. 
And anyways, yeah, the footage afterwards made me laugh. I was like, oh, my God, I was so rude. I didn't, like, stop or anything. (laughs) He felt bad. I felt it was pretty funny, though. That's that's such a fun event. That's, like, I I always, like, partook as, like, a a side person, not racing, but, like, snowblading with friends. Yeah, couldn't risk it. I couldn't risk it. Yeah. Or, like, judging, like, the the snowblade big air. Yeah. They had a snowblade big mountain competition one year. Small mountain. Small mountain, sorry. Small mountain competition. That was, like, an enchanted forest. Did you you compete in that one? Yeah, I did a front flip. It felt great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, that was so easy. Remember after that, we all went and skied, like, middle knuckle on the fingers. Oh, my God. Like, seven people on snowblades all around. Twenty, yeah, plus. twenty. I don't know. Every line off the off the yeah, fingers, but in right. particular on middle knuckle, there was like seven of us at the same time, like hop turning down that's the snowblades. Epic. It was. It is so- pretty heads up. Now that you say that, like that's right in March, right before you would go to Alaska, and you're always sending. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah. it feels like an Olympic gold medal though when you win that thing. I mean, I I understand. I think honestly, after so many years of competition, I think I'm ready for not competition. Fair, fair, but I think you could take <laughs> but- it. Yeah, I won't rule it out. I yeah. I don't know. I mean, Donnie, Donnie now won last year, right? Like he... Did he? He won, yeah. Yeah. I think pretty he, stiff he won and he passed. Like there was a younger kid that was out front just going all out and okay. he ended up took it. ejecting and took a pretty bad fall. Yeah, I skied with him afterwards and he was close, but okay, Donnie got it. <laughs> it's classic. Yeah. I love it so yeah. much. I mean, yet again, uh, outdoor ski culture here in Tahoe. It's For pretty, sure. Pretty cool place. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just this really funny, like, I don't know, that was what Bukaki was all about, like self-deprecating yeah. events, but like <laughs> making fun of everyone on yeah. Snowblades. It's the best. Yeah. People are always like, what? I don't really get it. And I'm like, well, you just watch. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and they probably haven't Snowbladed down KT before, so they, would, it's they wouldn't get so it. It's so hard. Difficult. Yeah. Especially when it's like a little bit punchy and soft. Like I've I've punched straight through with those. I was like, they're, they're not long enough to support you. So you like jump off something or you like try to make a turn and just punch yeah. in and do a couple somersaults and then keep going it's like and i don't know tough. about you but like my legs burn so much yeah. after that downhill yeah. yeah yeah it's like a full quad workout yeah yeah <laughs> oh good times well i hope to see you in the start game yeah yeah i'll leave all the options on the table for yeah you. totally never say never yeah <laughs> i love it so this year's all about coming back to your roots having a good time yeah. connecting with your childhood self yeah i love that yep yep and then yeah spending some time in Europe for those ski weeks. Um, and then we're going to go to Japan for the first time. Awesome. Because, yeah, we've raced in like South Korea and China and other places, but it doesn't snow in those places. And yeah. Japan, obviously, everyone knows it snows there. So yeah. that's going to be fun to go check that out. And then going back to Alaska for a couple weeks. And- Is Marie going to go with you to Alaska and everything? Yeah. She, she came for the first time this year with me. And before we went on the trip, she was talking to me and she's like, I don't know if this is really my like thing. Like, I don't know if this is my cup of tea. Like, I grew up in Quebec. Like, the first time we ever went powder skiing together was on KT on a storm day. And I took her over to, like, Oli Lady Bowl. And at that point, she had won World Cups. And so I, like, didn't really think about it. Totally right. And so I got to, like, the corners on Oli Lady Bowl. And it was three-inch visibility. And I was like, follow me. And I jumped off. Yeah. Then, like, got to the bottom and was like, huh, where is she? And I, I, like, didn't realize, like, that's totally out of her element. Right. She didn't know if she was following me off cliffs or this right. or that, or I felt it was pretty bad, but, but, <laughs> but in the end, she actually, she loves powder skiing. And then last year after she was like unsure, she did this trip up there and we had amazing conditions. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, this is my thing. That's awesome. Like she, she really wants to do more of it too. So, I love it. So yeah, she'll join and yeah, it'll be fun. Very cool. Yeah. How long have you guys been engaged for? Uh, we've been engaged for two years actually okay two yeah. years we've been together for 
somewhere between for I think like fourteen or fifteen years. That's a long time. Yeah, we're yeah. all kind of like professional ski racing careers. Such a special thing to do with your partner. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah, no, it's been an amazing journey. And like, obviously, like we've had so many different coaches and trainers and people helping us, but like that's been the same. Yeah, and that's been like the like together we've been our best coaches and our best like psychologists together like it's totally it's an amazing stuff out together support system that's yeah. helped us both have success and deal with it yeah it's beautiful that you have that kind of a relationship too yeah yeah no it's pretty cool aaron and i have that for sure on a similar but different yeah both no you guys are in the same world so yeah. you guys can definitely connect over all that stuff yeah there are it's it can be lonely it can be tough like being a skier like it's an individual thing at, at the end of the day and yeah it's nice to like feel comfortable to like talk about these things and like go through the risks and figure out. Yeah. There's, yeah, it's been cool. That's awesome. Very special. And to look back on that years down the road. Wow. Very special. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's yeah. been an honor. I can't wait to rip some turns with you. Oh, you reminded me though. The last time I got to ski with you, do you remember? Uh, no. Well, we did duck a rope. Where do we don't say where, where, where was this? That was the last time we skied? Yeah, I think so. We, like, the run looked so nice and pristine. Wait, how long ago was that? Years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And we, like, ducked this rope. We were like, oh, it looks like perfect powder. But it was a sheet of ice. And it was, like, pretty, like, heads up terrain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we skied down to unnamed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, we got yeah. busted by the ski patrol. <laughs> like, you and me. Oh, my gosh. And now thinking about all the icy race courses, I'm like, yeah, that was, like, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> That people hate hate me because it can be like raining and like unskiable, and I come home and I'm like, that was amazing. Like, yeah, I love I love gnarly conditions. I do too. Yeah, right. I it's something about it. it like, it makes you a better skier, and it's like it makes you fo have to like focus and really like brings out. There's this book called The Fear Project, and like fear brings out performance. Like, in the absence of fear, it's hard to focus, and with the fear, if you harness it, you can like use it to do these crazy things. Interesting. As most people see fear as a negative, I see it as a positive. Like it helps right. me focus. But that in the absence of it, that's when like things happen. That's when right. bad things happen. Like I need it. Anyways, another another conversation for another day. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I asked about your mental state when dropping in because I remember listening to an interview with Bodhi and he said he would actually like I can't remember the term he used, but it was like uh make believe that he was getting chased and it was a life or death situation. Yeah. And he would build up this huge yes. like yeah, yeah stage and is yeah and i'm like oh that like totally yeah. you know what today i ate shit twice like really hard back to back on, yeah, yeah on the flats i was trying to like i always kick out my rear tire and hit the pine cone and i was like yo aaron go film one of these pine cones you want to make a pine cone edit of like hitting the pine cones <laughs> so he puts the pine cone up and he like totally filmed it all but i go to kick the pine cone and my like rear tire bopped up on a rock and landed on the pine cone and then I tomahawked off and I was like laughing because it was such a dumb thing that I asked him to film. But then I immediately started crying too. <laughs> I think you can see it in the video. I'm like laughing and crying. And then we get home and I'm like, I can't believe that happened. Like my mountain bike falls are always these dumb things. And I walked down the stairs and ate it down the stairs <laughs> like so hard and started crying again. <laughs> see, you need to elevate your fear. Like yeah. ne next time, like blindfold yourself and go down the stairs. You'll be fine. <laughs> Totally. Yeah, yeah. That was my problem. I was yeah. lacking fear today. <laughs> these these types of this time of the year before we're really skiing and we're just kind of like waiting to ski, like totally. it's the most dangerous time of year because you're lacking that fear. And yeah. Like, and you're just kind of you're trying to do hit pine cones with your back wheel and things like 
Oh, that is so dumb. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I need to get some more fear in my life. Noted. <laughs> awesome. Well, I can't wait to ski with you, and thank you so yeah, much. Likewise. Thanks.